RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and I'm glad you can tune in again. Joining me as always, I got Mr. Finder and Scott W. Say hello, guys. Hey. What up? So on today's to- topic, we're going to be discussing GMing, why you should do it, what are some of the reasons why people don't want to do it, and is it actually as hard as people say? All that and more. Uh, now, Finder, before we actually start recording this episode, you put up on our Discord the things that your kids said for why they don't want a GM. Would would you be able to talk about that? Because I thought it summarized a lot of people's uh, opinions pretty well. Absolutely. So uh, my um, daughter, who is the oldest of my children, uh, her problem that she has is... She doesn't feel like she's fully capable of the prep necessary and then also potentially having to improvise or improv things when players uh, go off the tracks, which is bound to happen. Um, She doesn't feel like she's a strong enough storyteller uh, to successfully create something that the players would want to have or that the players would want to play in. And she just generally feels like she's a stronger uh, she does better character work. Um, she did say, however, that she would like to GM, but she just doesn't think that she would have as much fun GMing as she does playing, nor does she feel that her players would have as much fun if she were GMing. Um, then my oldest boy, uh, his his thing was all about more the mechanics, right? Learning the rules, choosing a system, choosing a system that is going to interest the players, Um, And then does everybody have to learn the rules? Then preparing for the game, going so far as to like, do you have to have battle maps? Do you have to have all your NPCs up and online? And and, uh, so he was thinking more around the technical aspects of it, especially in this world where we do a lot of online gaming, especially as as a group. Um, we, We tend to do all online. So his concerns were around the technicalities of being able to learn how do you upload the maps, how do you get your characters in there, how do you put the NPCs in there, and having all that stuff ready and available. Um, although he did go on and say that he felt like the improving part of that would, that, that seems like that would be like a lot of fun for him. He'd love to be able to get to that part where it's all improv and he also really enjoys the idea of world building. Uh, so those are some of the things that are enticing him. Um, but a lot of it's just the bureaucracy of getting into the, the it's the bureaucracy, quote unquote, getting in the way of, of actually trying to do it. It's, it how do you overcome that? Um, for my other son, he felt that it was uh, similar to my oldest boy, um, he's interested in doing it. He thinks it would be fun to try and do it, but all of the research of uh, coming up with monsters and finding the NPCs and where do you start with that sort of thing. Um, And then my sister-in-law, her response was that she would like to try GMing one day, but she doesn't feel like she's got enough time. There's just too much going on in her life. She's a mother of, of three kids, uh, all younger than the age of five. And she feels like she'd need about three hours a week just to 
prep um, and feel ready for the game. Um, so those are the kind of the reasons that my sphere of friends uh, outside of this group came up with around what prevents them from GMing or, or what's holding them back. Yeah, you know, I, I've I actually asked the question on Reddit and also on Twitter just for the purpose of you know just trying to see what everyone said, and you kind of summarized almost every single. It's funny <laughs> within every single person you've summarized at least one of the issues. Like uh, one of the people on Twitter at dotmetrix underscore zero one who is actually in uh, their own actual play, uh, resting glitch face. Um, she actually mentioned it as the performance anxiety uh, where she's just like, she's worried about, you know, the improv skills, not being up to snuff, uh, trying to keep the PCs from just taking everything completely off the rail and just trying to even like manage. Cause she herself, she was saying that she, she's played with some amazing GMs. And when you do that, like it's a lot of fun, but you almost, and I have the same thing because I've played with you, Scott, and um, I've played with uh, Finder in your group uh, where the GMs, they both have two different styles, but they're really, you guys are really good at GMing and you almost compare yourself to, you know, the GMs that you have and you're like, shit, can I ever, can I even do half of what they do? Like I, and it, it, it's true. Like, I, I think I would have some performance anxiety when it comes to GMing, don't clip that. Wait, <laughs> and yeah, like I, I don't even know how would you guys even like as you guys who have GM for a while, like when you started, did you have any of those kind of worries? Pretty much running a campaign. Uh, no, but I was also Jesus 10, 11. And so we were just, you know, flipping the book and like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and so you just went to him like, here's how you make a character. Cool, let's make characters. Cool, what are we going to do? Oh my God, we're going to go do this little tower thing and we're going to rescue the villagers. Oh my God, there's a trap. Oh my God, there's goblins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you just kind of, I don't know, I fell into it. But also I've got a natural inclination for, you know, theatrics and stage and, you know, speaking to people. So I don't know if that may have helped or not. Uh, what about you, Finder? Did you have any, because like, I know you've been jamming for quite a long time now, but like back in the day, do you remember having any of those kind of anxieties when running a campaign? Uh, had as in past tense. I still have those anxieties. <laughs> to some degree. Uh, it's like my brother, my brother-in-law said, I think he put it perfectly. He's like, he says, I think it's, that uh, you'll think it's, hang on, let me find the right spot. Players will tell you otherwise, and then you worry. Like your your players will tell you that you're doing a good job, and then you worry: Are they lying to you because they're your friends? So that is something that I struggle with occasionally because uh, I, I know some amazing GMs. Um, I know some some mediocre GMs. The funny thing is, even with the mediocre GMs, I still have a good time because you just need somebody there that can adjudicate and, and give you an idea of. Of a, of a story, right? It's like, hey, let's go do this. Okay, great. And as long as the players are invested, you're going to have a good time. But yeah, I still have that. And, and to Scott's point, growing up, I mean, this was back in the late 70s, early 80s when I was watching my brother. So I at least had an idea from watching them DM of what was supposed to happen. 
but I, I was telling my wife earlier, I'm like, you know what? I grew up in a great time uh, to some degree. And in some ways, I think uh, it was harder because we didn't have YouTube that we could go and watch actual plays and see how do you GM. If you didn't <laughs> yeah. know anybody to Scott's point, you figured it out on your own and you hope you were doing it right because there was <laughs> nobody saying, yeah, even though, I mean, the book would give a little bit of an idea, but there wasn't even a lot of GM advice in the book. I mean, you look at the old D and D rules and it was mostly rules. I mean, there was very little advice on, on the GM and they didn't have a lot of examples in the book. Um, so yeah, you really just hoped you were doing it right. And we muddled our way through, but. Yeah, in the in this episode, I might be asking a lot of questions because I do have some of these same feelings towards be actually fully branching out. Like I've done a little bit here, a little bit there, but I've never really ran anything too crazy. So I might be asking some questions. Finder, how do you how do you actually like um, how do you get past that anxiety in order to get to the next session? Like, what is there any way that you kind of almost have to prep up yourself in order to try and like almost beat it i you know this is gonna sound weird but for me completely screwing up and realizing that it doesn't ruin the game <laughs> did it for me it, it's kind of like I, I was completely afraid of public speaking until the day i was public speaking in public and i completely flubbed it i mean i i was so off the reservation when it came to that that topic and and it was so completely bad. But in that moment, I realized, you know what? These people aren't going to kill me. Um, most of them came up and said I did a great job anyway and even acknowledged that, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was pretty bad what happened to you. I feel bad for you, but you did a good job. And, and hearing people give positive feedback, same thing happens when you're GMing. When you completely feel like you've screwed it up, a lot of times I found that those are – the games where there's been a lot of fun stuff. Like th there was a scene in one cyberpunk game that I was running where I said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to experiment. And it ended up working out really well. There was no plan. And I found that a lot of the times, the more I overthink it, the more of a problem it becomes for me. Whereas if you have a rough outline of here are some of the key points, um, that gives you some flexibility. So your, your mind isn't as rigid in this idea of it has to go this way. And if it doesn't go this way, the whole game is ruined. Allow yourself some flexibility because your players are going to do things you don't expect. And they're going to go down a hallway that you didn't have planned. And they're going <laughs> to do also, <laughs> I'm not talking about my paladin, but <laughs> apropos, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Same. Yeah. But, but I mean, and, and those, those, those weird turns that you're not expecting that force you to think on your feet. I have found those to be a lot of fun and the players, you, you can rely on the players a lot to carry the story at that point and, and let them and they'll have fun doing it. No, that, that that's actually really good advice. Cause even like, I'm thinking back to my uh, session I ran with uh, Wrath and Glory. It, we even got to a part where it was like, I, I legitimately didn't really know the rules for this part. And I, I confided in the players. It was like, heads up, guys. I At this point, I'm not too sure exactly. Um, and so instead of like, instead of like slowing down the game, because finally you played Wrath and Glory. It's the book itself, like they, it's improved dramatically 
and this is coming and the original book the layout of it um how can i put this nicely it 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 really sucked was it as bad as cyberpunk red (laughs) Ooh, um no because you could at least find the rules um yeah cyber cyberpunk oh my god that's that's a whole nother topic damn so i wasn't wrong anyway keep going no it's yeah it's a it's a heap of garbage and so like i just said you know like hey guys i'm i don't really know the rules for this and they're like okay well that's cool we can either skip we can skip because it was literally it was the vehicle rules they're like well we can always just do something else if you feel more comfortable or i was like if you guys want we could just kind of you know just bash in the rules, what we think, what makes sense. And then I could learn them and do them better the next time. And they're like, yeah, we could do that. Cause all we want to do is drive from point A to point B, hijack a car and, you know, do a few other things. So I was like, yeah, okay. So we just kind of, we went just with the skill rolls and it worked out pretty well. Nice. And they had fun doing it. Uh, unfortunately, just scheduled conflicts and everyone always kept on saying oh i can't come no i can come no i can't (laughs) story and we've had to do that here with our own games um Mm. but yeah it it worked out well just because i thought i thought like well at least i think because i was just being honest with them and saying hey i'm you know i just don't fully know at this moment yeah um managing expectations i mean that's that's a lot what it's, it's about is People are willing to go with you and, and they're there to have fun and they want to have fun. So yeah. if they didn't want to have fun, they, they wouldn't be playing with you. So, yeah. Uh, another thing kind of in the same thing, same realm of the whole performance anxiety uh, I found was a lot of people are worried about, you know, their players not having fun. Um, do you have any advice, Scott, for how like how how can you make sure that your players have fun or is it really something you should even be worrying about in the first place oh yeah well i mean i definitely worry about it uh, <laughs> shit so uh, I, I don't know some of this seems so ephemeral to even talk about it's like um so i will take a look at what you kind of know what people consider fun and you can discover the little hooks. So you can try one. Like, I think a problem mistake is people try to shotgun a lot of different approaches instead of saying like, oh, let's see if they like to do an investigation. Oh, okay, that took pretty well for this one person. Um, let's see if they like combat. You're going to have someone who always likes to fight. And if you understand what they like, then you can start interspersing uh, some of those encounters. And you're not going to make everyone happy because you can't really – it's hard to do – some of the combinations, but when you, you can take it to the next level on what I've done. And I don't know if you guys have picked up on it. Um, sorry, I keep clearing my throat. Some, some folks do, but if you ever noticed if we're playing oh, Savage Worlds is a little bit different because it's not really class-based, but I'm playing D and D or another class-based game or a game where you're focused. I can even do it in Savage Worlds. I'll describe a scene or a person or an object or a thing based on your character's professional perceptions um so like hey we're gonna do a notice roll or i want to do an insight check on uh this the the the, this fence and it's like okay so the thief was succeeded the fighter succeeded 
and the cleric succeeded. So it's like, okay, well, I know that they made those characters for a reason because everyone makes a character for a reason. Every skill they pick for a reason, every every weapon they pick for a reason, and they're basically broadcasting what they want, what they think, what they consider fun and neat. And so you take those, and that's how I use that. I'll say, okay, well, Thief, you know, the words he's using, some of the slang, you understand that there's some connections there to the underworld. Um, you can go a little bit deeper than that. And for the fighter, it's like, okay, well, he doesn't seem to have a stance that would belie um, competence in a combat, but his bodyguard is definitely uh, competent in a fight. Um, and then for the cleric, be like, maybe they use uh, vulgarities or you know utterances that are considered profane, or they're unwashed, you know, and that's also considered profane. They don't wash their hands before a meal, things like that. And if you you really ping on what the people at the table have have created, I think that will help you get your bring your players into it and and really cast a, a wide net for them to start to enjoy the game because it shows you have interest in their characters, even if it's not really interest in the character. I don't really care what you play sounds terrible i care that you've made a character and you have subconsciously or consciously told everyone this is what i this is what i think is cool and how i fit into this story and so cool okay well how can i do this how can i make this fun for each of these people um but i don't really pre-plan a lot so it's just i don't know does that help at all no there's something though that i think that you've touched on that isn't that hasn't been said explicitly and that is you, as well as a lot of the other what, who I would consider good GMs, seem to apply the principle that I learned in an improv class one time, and that is the yes and, yeah. um, where you don't try to shut somebody's idea down. If I want to do something, you try to find a way to allow me to do that thing that I want to do. There, there's no, well, the rules don't allow that, so no, you're not going to do that. Um, instead, you do try to take what we do and incorporate it. And even like my, my brother, who I always considered a really good GM, he even did that with the world. Like he, he had his idea of here's what the world is. But as players, as we would start injecting our own stories, we would start making up aspects of backstory that he allowed to become canon. Like if, if we talked about some monster, that monster suddenly became canon. And if, we, if he ever needed it, he'd go and stat that monster out if he wanted us to meet it or to, to confront it at some point. But allowing players to take partial control of the world and realize that it's a shared experience um, is something I think you and all the other games that I've noticed that are really good or who I consider good have a tendency to do is allow the players that, that input and take that input and run with it. And, you know, I actually never considered... What another thing that you said, Scott, was the, you know, they they took those skills for a reason because they think that's fun. It seems so simple once you say it, but it's like one of those things where skills are just so used that you don't really think of them anything but a mechanic. But yeah, if if you're going to take a skill, you want to take that skill for a reason. And mm-hmm. if and even if like let's say you don't, if the GM doesn't really find a way to use those skills the next time the player might just say well that was wasteful and like it might even put like a sour taste in their mouth like that's actually um like and it doesn't have to be like you know continuous use of that skill but you know to find a reason to use those skills every once in a while like yeah that would automatically make people have a little bit more fun in that yeah, well, you, yeah, because really you, you can create your own worst nightmare, which is the munchkin. If you did what you said and you just 
don't don't let anyone shine with whatever weird skill they have. And you can look at like, I, I guess my my the way I do things it comes through in like the the narrative chases that I always create, like if the deck of cards or in the different games I write. You look at those; those are always choices, and it always allows the player to draw on the a strength of their character. It's not just one simple solution of like, oh, make a make a you know make a driving check. Okay, cool, you failed. No, you know it's usually presented like, okay, well, you know the um, the uh, you know the our, our our getaway driver isn't the one in control right now because they've been shotgun through the face in the window, and now I've got the hacker driving. And I know the hacker doesn't have the driving skill, but what the hacker does have is the hacker may be super smart, right, or super prescient. So let's use that. Hey, you're cruising along at high speed. Uh, you can either try to avoid this, you know, right now making a driving check, which is not going to go well, you know, or either you can, uh, see if you can catch that, you know, cut away alley to the left quick enough using your intelligence. And that's just in everything that I do is I, I want to pull on the strength of the characters and make everything they do. Like I said, make everything they do feel important. Every choice they've made matter. You know, what's fun about that approach though, as well, is it puts that choice in the player's hand because i've got some players that will usually go with their weakest skill sure because yeah. they think that's going to be hilarious and it's going to be fun <laughs> and if they succeed it's even more epic right yeah um like I, right now my my son in our coriolis game he plays a captain who is really good at talking to people he's totally a face man and the way he plays that character off is it's always somebody else's idea that he just takes and runs with so like when, when another person in the party says something, he will use that and say, oh, yeah, great idea. And then he, he will make it work because he's got the skills to do that. But then he also says, just so you guys know, right now it's canon that whenever we're in space combat, my character is never going to really say anything. He's just going to pose. You all are going to know instinctively what to do. And if anything goes wrong, it's the captain's fault. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of character he wants to play is he's like I, I picture like that what's his name brad again or whatever it is on uh oh futurama right zap brannigan <laughs> yeah zap he, he's like yeah. he, he's like yeah. a zap brannigan type character that's how i picture him that that's hilarious yeah and as the resident futurama nerd yeah that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i just had like a bunch of lines or a bunch of like different episodes popping to my head where it's just like oh we just threw bodies and bodies at the killer robots because they have a certain kill count before they shut off so we just kept on throwing body after body until they just shut off the by themselves so I'm just thinking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that works um, uh... i think another one that probably a lot of people are concerned about and it's funny because after playing with you guys for a while i'm this was one that is one of my least concerned ones because i find you can do it well the prep work do you really need to put in let's say three hours if you're running a session every single week do you really need to put in three hours of work in order to have that session prepared for the players <laughs> that depends on your school of thought um, and, and the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it's actually kind of funny. Cause even one of the people who on like on uh what is it on Reddit, they're saying, it's just like, 
yeah, I don't know how much prep work I need to put into it. It just sounds so daunting. And they, they even said uh, the perceived how much I think it actually needs to be put into it, the time and energy. So, yeah. so here, here's, here's what I'm, here's my take on that. Now I will preface this with this, with the, the statement that I have a personality type where you can ask me last minute to do something and I will run with it. I'm, I'm yeah. okay. I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable <laughs> doing that. Um, I know that there are some people who would be utterly terrified at that, uh, at that notion. However, I will say that you do not need to put as much prep in as you tend to think you do because your players are going to throw all that prep work out. And <laughs> um, Scott probably had a much uh, different campaign plan until I decided to go down that corridor and confront that uh, Barrow King. No, see, you want know the truth? I knew you would do it because that's how you, that's, that's how you play. That's 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 the kind of player you are, and so that kind of goes back to what we we're talking about, right? Is I don't prep anything. I just was like, here's the dungeon, here's what I want. It's a barrow. Let's see what happens. And odds are, uh, Finder's going to go down there because one, I know how he is, and two, he plays. He's playing a paladin, and I know he's going to play the character to the letter of the the letter of the law to have an interesting interesting time. And I was like, yeah, here we go. Cool story. <laughs> you know? And then you guys all, you know, and I try to provide warning signs, but it goes in the back of like knowing your play and your ass, knowing your players and knowing what, what they find interesting, how you yeah. engage them. I just, I know that would, he would find that fascinating and was like, we're not turning back on this. You know, I could feel him vibrating through time when you two were like, we're not doing this. This is too dangerous. It was like, I'm playing probably and we're going down this fucking <laughs> Yeah. But- yeah. I mean, am I am I wrong on that assumption? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> no, the moment you did yeah. it too, I was just thinking, yeah, we're we're going into that pit. I'm, I, I will say, if I hadn't like looked it. at my character though, if I hadn't looked at the character sheet and the moves that he had, I was at the point of being swayed <laughs> until I until I asked the god, and once the god told me that that's evil, okay, yeah. now I know what I got to do, whether I want to or not. Yeah, the yeah. one role you succeed in is the one that tells you that there's something evil going on. Of course. <laughs> For real. That's because my dice like TPKs. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say that. Wait, what was. I'm sorry. I, I'm sidetracking my head on the topic. You said um, prep, prep, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. prep work. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, man. I don't. I mean, you guys. How much prep do you guys think I do for a game? Because since, since you brought it up about. I had whole other plans and all that jazz. How much prep do you think I put um, in the game? I think it's mostly front loaded where you might put in like a couple, maybe like an hour or two prepping up the setting itself and kind of theme. But after that, I think you kind of just let it go with the flow. Like for you instance, definitely you know me well, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. Like, cause I was even thinking, cause there was the one with um, like uh where you, you put into an investigation, you had all those notes written and everything like that. I was like, I bet I know all that shit was front loaded because you had all that stuff already. And you were talking yes. about, Oh yeah, we're nope, not the right one. Now this one. So I kind of assumed you yeah. prep up everything at the beginning and then you just say, okay, let's see where this goes. Uh, yeah. I make like an outline, but like some of the stuff like that is a very specific campaign. And yeah. I've had that. I've had all those converted over and I've done it, but you're right to me, the props are <laughs> the setting and the maps. That shit's more important. Cause you're right. The, the theme. So how, how much prep do you think I did for the mothership adventure? So first off, I would say that you guys had a blast with the mothership adventure. Is, am I wrong on that? Oh, mothership oh, yeah. was fun. 
Okay, so science fiction is one one of my weakest, probably my weakest genre that I, I I ever tried to GM, and so I fret about that and fretted like a whole thing. Like everyone else is talking about, how much prep do you guys think I did for that adventure? I, I think you watched Space Odyssey. <laughs> that was all made up on the fly. Oh, oh, one hundred percent. I had no and, idea. And, and, and that would have been my guess. Yeah, I had no idea and, what to and, do. And that, I mean, that just goes to my point earlier, though, where you can, you don't have to do a lot of prep and let the players run with most of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You guys, every- you just there, throw one comment out, and you let the players' paranoia amp it up. Yeah, and, and, that's, and that's cool. It works so well. Yeah. Uh, you. <laughs> it was just amazing. That was probably one of the that was one of the most fun I've had running a science fiction game. Actually, I will yeah, tell you that. Yeah, and that that was so fun. I I really wish we got past just the first session, but me time. too because that computer is going to straight fucking murder your character. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> you were you were setting me and the android up, and yeah, I'm, I'm she was doing her best. And the only <laughs> only reason why. My character probably didn't go full ham on it. It was because I was playing him as, as a complete idiot who wasn't putting things together. But you were <laughs> militant. You were just someone who had served, and your purpose wasn't the militarization of space or the moment. And so it worked for your character to continue pushing because that was what I was. I realized I was onto something based on how everyone, how the other two were reacting to it, and how you were reacting. So I was like, oh, I can keep pushing this button. And then I'm like, oh, but the Android, you're not getting the fuck off scot-free because I'm going to make this super weird, <laughs> right? Because you're not even a normal life form. And so the entities that are out there realize this. And so they're going to turn the humans against the Android, you know? And then I know that Finder is easy to, he gets annoyed with illogic. And so <laughs> I knew by letting mother behave in an illogical manner, it would keep him on his toes of like, I'm trying to get some actual shit done with this dumb fucking shit <laughs> you know so that but it was all well, that was all on the fly organic hand hand to god yeah. <laughs> and you know it yeah it was just fun because I, I remember from that one like even like when i was doing actions and i was explaining them you can i could like when you turn back on the gravity just on the fly <laughs> and my guy for anyone listening i my guy was uh pretending to be iron man in space because he, he just got his armor and everything and so he was singing the you know the iron man uh song and he was going and he was like flying and he had one hand up and then all of a sudden gravity turns on at that moment and even the, <laughs> even, even even the fucking uh mother mumbled I hate what was his name again? What was my guy's name? Skyler? I, don't, I, don't, I think I, it was like Skyler. I picked something super like douchey and hipstery. I'm pretty sure it was Skyler. And I just hear I I hate you, Skyler. Right, but it was no, but it was is the mother voice, right? Yeah, it was I the mother you. voice. I, I hate, hate you, Skyler. And then my guy said, What is that? What did you sorry I missed that? What did you say mother? And then it was nothing. So I was just like, well, Maybe I just misheard something or whatever. Oh, well. She always, but she. So I also I gave you guys the Andrew Ryan on her because she always asked permission before she did something terrible to you, and one of you always gave her permission to do something terrible. Like the reason the atmosphere, the reason gravity came back to the ship was because Finder ordered Mother to fucking reinitiate gravity. Uh... She chose when to do it because I knew you were at the moment trying to scramble. You know, you had already said you're getting your shit on. You're going to be on the move. And so I'm like, oh, we're going to wait till you get halfway down this hallway. 
<laughs> and then yeah, and then she was, you know, and like I said, and, her, and, and so that's the thing too. With if nothing else for prep, like the names and all that jazz, yeah, those suck to come up with. But the 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 the, the give three three things to a character, or an NPC, or, or if there's something that's gonna be important, give them a voice. You're like mother, you guys will probably never forget her delivery, no matter what. Very very <laughs> dead. Like was it deadpan almost? Yeah, you know, yeah. she was like, you know, I'm trying to think of, uh, God, some of the, anyway, but yeah, it's, it's, you, one of those, and you'll never forget that NPC of like, this ship fucking hates us. Yeah. And we don't know why. Nope. <laughs> nope. And, and we I, still I, don't know why. No. Yeah, true saying. That's unfortunate. <laughs> here. Yeah. But I mean, the, the other thing though about that is, even if you feel like you have to do some prep, one of the tricks that I've learned is, you figure out what the key points are and then you leave them ambiguous. Like if you have two cities that your players can go to, don't put that thing in one specific city unless there's a very specific need and you got to force them to that city somehow, which is railroading. So that's why I generally try to think of it in terms of this thing. Can it happen anywhere? If so, great. I'm going to leave it happening anywhere and let the players go where they want. And Hey, it just happens that it be in that city uh, where that happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's there's a book I, I advise everyone to buy. It's only like five bucks for the PDF. I don't know how much the, the physical copy is. It's called the, it's the Lazy Dungeon Master, and it'll teach you how to do just that with a couple of some index cards. And you'll stop thinking in the linear fashion and go with what Finer just said. So the Lazy Dungeon Master, and on top of that, Sly Flourish has a blog. And it's Sly Flourish two words because he got he started his blog from the fourth edition days. I mean, he talks about the five room dungeon, the five the five adventure campaign, and the three clue process. So if there's something you need to do and you're not playing a game um, like um, oh man, Robin Laws is a little uh, adventure game. Shit, I don't can't remember the name of it. His mystery game. But if you're playing a game where D and D or Savage Worlds and you need to, you're doing clue hunting. There are easy ways of going about it, and if they miss a roll, which they're gonna do. You don't screw them. You have two more ways of getting that clue. So one might be a, a visual means. One might be something they read somewhere. And one might be someone they meet that has the information. And so you always can present and put in front of the, the party those options. And you, but you should always have you know, three methods of getting to, getting to a, an answer of a, of a, of a, of a, like a, not a riddle, but you know, like a clue of finding that clue that helps you move the campaign forward, you know. Uh, but those are two great resources for really getting ahead of some of this, of uh, what you're talking about. And one thing that you've also kind of uh, taught me from your GM style is to ask the players questions about the world. <laughs> you don't always need to know the answer. In fact, if if they already gave you a suggestion, chances are they already have an idea. Yep. Yeah. And I, I think that's, yeah. I think that's one, like a lot of people think that GM needs to come up with everything, but no, I, I think just letting people kind of figure it out for themselves and it kind of almost makes players more invested in the world itself. So why the hell wouldn't you, right? Right. And even if – sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish I was going to say because you said your your brother does that too, right, where he lets you guys uh, help create the universe. Yeah. It's awesome. The biggest obstacle for people is ego. And I don't mean like you got a shitty ego, just like the, the ego death. Let go of your preconceived notion of this is going to be the greatest Lord of the Rings Middle Earth adventure ever. And just start asking those questions like we've done before or have a groundwork and then ask them, well, how do you know, you, 
you're druid. What do you know about the cleric's temple? Because then you're, they're just making shit up and you can make those notes and the cleric can say that's bullshit. Or it can be true. And depending on your players, they may run with stuff and start to start to really um, kind of roll off of one another. Uh, and that's where it's really interesting. Um, you know, and that's I, I've always done that for you guys. I, I for every, every group I have is I, I let them riff off of one another and I'll make notes and some things that someone says is not true. I'll be like, we'll see about that, because now I've got a secret. You know, the druid knows some shit about your temple cleric that you don't know because you're an initiate. But there is an Illuminati order within your religious order. Ooh. And they are out to they are out to dominate the world. But you just don't know it yet. But we're going to get to that point in the adventures. That's actually really clever. Similar to that, or what can be a big help for a new GM is just what you were talking about, Scott, is letting the players do a lot of the legwork for you. Mm-hmm. And there's like um, this thing called backstory cards. Yes. Which are a total blast. Yes. I mean, because uh, basically you're asking your players to come up with, like, come to the table and I want three things here, 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 and here. And they throw them out, not even knowing what they're going to be about. And then through the backstory card process, those details get worked out by the players, generally speaking. The GM can guide things a little bit. The GM kind of says, says here's, the, here's the tone we're going for. But they come up with a lot of that stuff. And then that automatically gives you like story hooks that you can pull yep. on that gives you ways to get that player invested in the adventure that you're going for. And it's a lot of fun, and we've got some really interesting things um, in, in the Coriolis game where I used it for the first time, and all the players seem to have really ha- had a really good time with it. So yeah, and they have they have the base pack. I, I, I take the money and buy the buy the, the deck and buy everything. They have genre packs, and people are like, well, you know, it's kind of what I described. It's real simple. So we're 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 sitting down to play a cyberpunk game. Okay, so you know, finder. Um, on the last job, you were working for the cartel or the Arasaka Corporation. Which one was it that you were working for? Arasaka. So while you're working for Arasaka, and you know how they feel, but you had to link up with the street rat, which is Santa. Now, you two blew the mission completely, and it was Santa's fault. So Santa, what did Finder's character do that led you to just fuck this whole mission up? And that's literally a backstory card. And, you know, and that's just how it's presented. And you just start asking those questions and you watch, like, like, like Finer said, you watch their, the imaginations run wild and it really does help a person grow in their, uh, you know, imaginate. Well, and, and the cool thing is it can also help you come up with NPCs because they have to come up with people that, yes. aren't, the, uh, that aren't the characters. And yep. then like, there's one character that there was one NPC that came out of that entire process that the players love and hate simultaneously because, that one character has done good for them and that one character has screwed all of them. Yep. Um, and so it's like this, it's, it's a really great character that just came out of that because of the way they were all talking about it. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. Those are invaluable tools. I, I use them all constantly for starting games. Um, yeah. And I, I was just kind of thinking, cause we've been kind of on this, uh, <laughs> on this path are already and another it's just an, sorry it's just coming up organically yeah, yeah. another kind of thing that a lot of people from what i've been reading off of reddit um is they're worried about their improv skills and how they don't they're worried that they will not be able to improvise with how the players go how the players run 
and they think that they're just going to completely stalemate. And one my my one thought actually was coming is like, but if you can like, and I I know that some people they're going to say you know, but you're running a whole setting instead of just a player, um, which I think is valid in some senses. But if you can role play or you know improv a character and how you think they'll do, then shouldn't you also be able to do the campaign? And on that note, I. I'm going to say I apologize. I've just been drinking coffee and carbonated water all day. I really got to take a leak. So improv away, guys. Uh, so unprofessional, but I don't care. I really got to go. So, uh, yeah, so I think my advice for folks would be, and I'm curious to hear your perspective on this too, is like I would dare say that most of the improv, and I know it's like, oh, the monkey wrenches, but really, if you empower the players and don't be married to the stupid adventure idea, you know, like, I think that's a big, a big problem for folks. They get married to their adventure. I, I agree. Although even then, I would say to your point, let the players help. It's okay for you to say to your players, you know what? I don't know what to do in this scenario. Uh, you guys have done something that's gone off the rails and I'm not sure where to go with it, the players may be off, may be willing to offer up advice that says, yeah. Hey, you know, what? this could happen. And, and that's cool. And then if you can incorporate that, that player just feels more invested now because you're taking one of their ideas and you're running with it. Yeah. And it's okay. I mean, heck, who was it? Uh, was it Raymond Chandler? I think, uh, who said if he ever got stuck in a story, he just had somebody, uh, shoot somebody. Yeah. Yeah, right. It's so, just it's because that was that that moves that moves things forward. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's okay to just throw something that's completely out of left field into it as well, just to shake things up and give you time to think about something else. So maybe a rival gang or a rival adventuring group has caught up with them, and now you got to deal with that. Um, yeah, um, so yeah, those I'm are kind of my thoughts on that one. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of a really good like gone off the rails moment because really if you're going off the rails to me that indicates you had rails laid which indicates a railroad you know what i'm saying <laughs> well, well I, I don't necessarily completely agree you have it yeah. it could be an outline and you're saying they've gone completely outside of my outline now yeah um which is okay because an outline is just that it just means you gotta throw something else out there now but yeah can steal them back i mean give them a plot hook that brings them back where you want them to be or or completely run off and see where they're going with this because it may be a, a lot more fun than the adventure you had planned. Absolutely. It's happened. Yeah, maybe your shit's just jank and they don't like it. <laughs> and they're subconsciously <laughs> like, this is going to be boring as shit and we're already we're picking up on this. Yeah, you never know, right? Um, I'm back with that. Uh, okay. Yeah, we heard you breathing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Did they? Did anyone give any examples of how they got derailed or their improv skills were called into question? It, it, it's kind of funny because only like it's um, the people who are talking about their improv skills are people who don't generally GM, and I think it's one of those oh. things where it's like people are. It's it's the concern of not being able to do it and not actually have done it yet from the from the sounds of it at least. You know, you can only get so much off of a post, yeah. but yeah, it sounds like it's more of. Like, you know, it's that whole thing is part of the reason why it's holding them back from even trying even once. So then I, I say, you know what, if that's the biggest concern, say, okay, 
we need to take a five minute break. I need to think about this. And you can take, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to let the players even do some role playing while you're doing some planning because um, I've had to do that and it's okay. It yeah. doesn't have to be an instantaneous, oh, I know exactly what's happening now. It's okay to let them peek behind the curtain. They know you're a friend. They know you're just GMing and it's it's not like a, a script that's written down. So Yeah, exactly. And you kind of hit on it, Santa, too, is, is like you do improv when you're playing a character. Everything uh-huh. you do is improv because you're improving how you respond to everything the GM throws at you. And so, yeah, I think if more people concentrated and focused inward, they might realize that and maybe like, oh, okay. So it's, it's kind of that easy. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. The taking the break thing is, it's pretty well known. It's, it's almost a meme at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Well, I, even, I, I, I was going to say, even, um, even something that someone posted on someone's comment on Reddit was, uh, just saying, you know, DMing or GMing, it's a skill. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's you're never going to be, be the best GM from the first time going through. And especially if you know the players, they'll know it's your first time as well. Or, you know, your second time or, you know, you're still new at it relatively. And they're not going to expect you to be able to do a Matt, Mercer, Matt Mercer-esque campaign that lasts you know, 30, 40, 50 hours that spans an entire year that has plot hook upon plot hook and the small thing that's over on this side over here all of a sudden popped up 10 episodes later and, like, nobody fully expects that. People think that, oh, that's a really cool idea and you can do those little kind of plot hooks, but nobody expects you to be able to do that your first go. Yeah, no heavy note taking right i mean i still take notes you guys you may or may not hear me but yeah whenever we're talking it's not like i'm remembering everything you guys say because it's just impossible given a full day job and stuff so i take i take i take quick notes on things you guys are saying and describing things and, and that's how i i maintain some of that and same thing for matt mercer you know he's he's making those notes as well and so you can bring those back um it's just knowing when to bring them in but yeah. it becomes a little more organic. Have I don't I'm trying I can't I'm trying to think of a time where a group completely like made me rock back in the chair. I I'm, I'm having a hard time with it. What about you, either of you running a game? Has anyone has anyone done anything so Yeah, just derailed you completely as a someone running a game. Um my only one that completely derailed in my short experience and it wasn't because of anything they did or anything like that. I, I mentioned it actually on the episode with Carrie, um, where the person rolled uh, 34 or 35 or whatever. I forget the total on their writing check just to see how quickly they'd get to town. And I, all right, well, you teleported. Like, how, I at that point, I was like, I was expecting like, maybe something between zero and 12 or one and 12. <laughs> Not, like, I had no idea what to do. I was like, huh? Okay. This is like well, his fifth role in this entire game. Hmm. <laughs> you know, though, even then the more you GM, the more experience you get, the more you're able to handle that. Right. And, and that's one of the things that I think is, I really like about the Coriolis system is every role means something. In fact, the rule says, don't have them roll 
unless it means something. Yes. And yes. and so if they're competent in this thing, they're likely going to succeed. And then when it becomes important to the story, whether or not they succeed or fail, then they roll. And the books also explicitly says every failure must have a, a result. There, there must be a consequence for that failure. And that consequence, and some of the things they say is that, that consequence could be that they get half the information, which means that they now may have misinformation if they interpret that half one way, or it may be correct if they interpret it a different way. Um, but they talk about how if you, you can give, you can dole out information in degrees. And so like if they rolled that well, I'd say, what's the maximum you could shave off of a travel time? And that's what you got. And that would have been the same if they rolled lower. But I mean, it doesn't mean that the dice don't have to say that, oh, well, that's an impossibility. So you you just teleported. And that's okay that they, they did. I mean, that, that would probably be a cool thing if ah, you hit a portal that was just yeah. happened to be right in front uh, of your horse. Yeah. <laughs> I said that more in jest. Like I just no, mentioned it's like it, it, cause at the end of it, I was, I was like, no, it, it, you're expecting a two day ride and it only yeah. took you one day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing is, I mean, you, you think about what's logical or what a logical outcome in a fantastical world, of course. I mean, there is magic in, in a lot of the fantasy stuff. And yep. Arthur C. Clarke said science that's advanced enough is indistinguishable from magic. So, um, you've got that stuff, but the, the more you do that, the more you can come up with those sorts of things on the fly. And one of the things that I am learning, even at this stage in my GMing life is there's value in GMing other systems mm -hmm. because yeah. each system teaches different things. Like the way a prepared adventure for Coriolis is presented is completely different than anything I'd seen in like D and D. Um, D and D modules have a very specific format, whereas in Coriolis they break it into three acts. It's always a three act adventure. And act one, they give you the outline of here's what's going to happen in act one. And by the end of act one, they should be here. By the end of act two, they should be here. And by the end of Act 3, this or at the beginning of Act 3, this is what should be happening and what they need to do to com successfully complete Act 3. There's very little detail in any of them other than here are the major characters that they may find. Here is information about each of the different areas that you need to be aware of. But they rarely go into any explicit detail of what a, an area looks like. That's left for you to kind of come up with. And it's very open in terms of the way that they present it. And I, I'm still trying to come to grips with how to how to do those sorts of adventures and why am I running them? Because I don't have a lot of time to prep. <laughs> so I yeah. steal somebody else's story and I just run with that. <laughs> yeah. No. That's a good way to so it sounds like a plot point campaign from yeah. Savage Worlds. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. Nice. Um and it's 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 uh it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So it, I Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You shoot. I was just say I do. So I did. I had to dig back in the uh, the memories of, of an old man. So I do know when I was thrown off kilter. It was by my two of my players, my wife and uh, a friend of ours, and we were playing the haunting in Call of Cthulhu, and these two shitheads decided the basement probably had. If you haven't played the haunting, spoilers alert. I uh, don't really care. 
But the basement of the house that they thought was haunted is probably haunted and probably is going to kill them. So they're not going in the house. They are (laughs) calling the police from the outside, trying to get help, and they refuse to go in the house. And, you know, a lot of – so the rest of the players at the table were like either dead or in an insane asylum. (laughs) And you can see the looks on their faces. And it was was joking like – you know, it was like – first I gave them like, hey, cool. You know, we're going to – I don't, your characters aren't going to be forced to go in here, but just for you, because they're a new game and like just for edification, the, the conceit of Cthulhu is you do dumb shit, right? Um, think of a horror movie and all the dumb shit that you scream at a screen. That's the stuff you're, you're really, you're supposed to be doing because that moves everything forward and you get creeped out and you, you see all the, all the crazy shit. I said, but I'm also, because everyone's like, oh my God, what are we going to do? How are you going to end this? It's like, oh, Everything you do in the game is going to have consequences and inaction also has consequences. And so we just, fa- we, we did the thing like you don't go in there, the police search the house and they begin, uh, they don't find anything. Yeah. Well, they don't find anything. And they said, then, you know, a week later, um, said so they're both moms. And I was like, we're going to take this up a notch. Uh, children are beginning to vanish off the street near where this house is. Ooh. And I was like, and then we just fade to black and they're like, no, I was like, no, we're done. The adventure is now over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 you chose not to encounter the sorcerer body. We're done. Well done. <laughs> so yeah, God, I still hate him for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Cthulhu. Go to the fucking basement. <laughs> You're meant to do this. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a lot about you know some of the preconceived notions that people have towards GMing and all that. But here's a question for people who are thinking, well, I might like it, but, you know, I really like being a player. What do you guys get out of GMing? What makes you come back and GM time after time? I get to play the game I want to play because nobody wants to GM (laughs) the games that I want to play. (laughs) Oh, man. That, That it? For the most part. I mean, I, I, I enjoy GMing. I mean, it's a lot of fun and... Um, it, for me, it's a lot of fun it's getting to see how my kids interact with one another as yeah. these different characters and presenting them something that, uh, they find exciting. So there's, a, there's a lot of fun just hearing the, the excitement in the players that are there and enjoying the story that you're, uh, collaborative, collaboratively telling, but mostly I would be completely happy to be a player, um, in almost all aspects other than. I never get to play in the sorts of games that I would like to play in. So I have to GM them. Yeah. Like I've, I've wanted to play Coriolis for years and finally I'm like, I'm only going to get to play this. Like, yeah, so here we go. And uh, you know what? I think that's another thing was a lot of people. It's just like, I really like this idea of this game, but I know nobody would GM it. So I have to yeah. learn the rules in order to do the mechanics so that we can play this game. Yeah. And, I, I don't know if that's how a lot of GMs start or if it's just really just a lot of people. It's just like, well, nobody else is going to do it. So somebody has to step up to it. But no, that's noble for people too to do it. That's yeah. awesome. You know, well, and, and you know, you mentioned something that I, I think is also a big concern that a lot of people have. And that is I have to learn the rules. Yeah. Yes, you have to learn the rules. You don't have to have the rules memorized and you don't have to know them forward and backward before you can start GMing. No. I have not read the entire Coriolis rulebook. I have read the sections that I think are going to come up most frequently. And I have also told the players, look, this is my first time 
playing Coriolis. Let's create characters. This is the first time you're all playing Coriolis. We're all learning the rules together. That's okay. We're going to make mistakes. That's okay. Um, and I'll even let you adjust your character after we've played a few sessions. If you feel like your character build isn't what you envisioned it would be for this type of a game, you can tweak it because we don't know going into this first game how everything's going to work together. And yeah. that, that's a real big thing that can happen is you can make a suboptimal build, not that you have to be a munchkin, but your, your build may not hold up to what you wanted it to be in your head. Oh, um, yeah. So it's okay to, to adjust things after the fact. Is, is, do you <coughs> say, hey, we're going we're gonna to have some period of time where we can do some tweaks and then we'll lock them down and then we're going to go with it. Yeah, um, I mean, okay. hell, look at uh, Suede had to change one major thing, right? There were people who didn't take fighting or notice. <laughs> 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 and that becomes an issue when it's a yeah. D4 minus two. <laughs> yes. Although they still, don't get the, they still don't get fighting, but you're it's right. Absolutely. Fighting, but notice yeah. and stealth. Yeah, the notice, yeah. It's like, heck, we had, a, we had a Deadlands group that nobody had noticed. Oh, it's crazy. But it happens. <laughs> it, it used hilarious. to happen a lot back in the yeah. day. Yeah. It was hilarious. Yeah. I, and I, I'm one of those people who it's like, I would make a character without fighting skill just just to see what the fuck happens. Right. Well, yeah. I, I can tell you what happens because I've had <sighs> players that do that and they die very fast because you're running Fair. around with a four parry. <laughs> two. Right. Because technically it's a minus oh, yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, two. yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two, two. Uh, a means you're getting hit all the time. Typically yeah. with raises all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, just you're... brutal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was I was going to say something contradictory to that, but then I was Uh-oh. remembering our Wrath and Glory game where my guy could kill things very easily, but I couldn't dodge a single goddamn anything. And as soon as we went up against something that is anti-tank or anti-heavy armor, my guy uh, died on the first turn of combat. So, so a glass cannon. Glass cannon, yeah. Just he wasn't thinking, a, man. No, no, he wasn't a glass cannon because I seriously, throughout the entire game, I think I got wounded once because my armor was just so stacked where I was just like, I'll just face tank my way through everything. You can hit me anywhere. I'll just be fine. And I was, and then all of a sudden, if anyone's aware, what Wrath and Glory, Wrath and Glory's uh, Warhammer 40k, and uh, then I took two plasma plasma rifles straight to the face, and um, <laughs> I died pretty much instantaneously. Nice. Yeah, it was actually really hilarious because we ended up all dying. Oh, well, it happens. I mean, it's you know, and it wasn't Finder's fault. It yeah, wasn't I mean, it's, it's, Finder's yeah. fault. It's death and murder. So, oh yeah, it was great. It was beautiful. That's what happens? Uh, what, what's your what's your? Uh, why do you keep on coming back to jamming there, Scott? So I think we talked about it a little bit a few times of like, I'm one of those people who we get in a group, kind of like Finder was talking about. If you're like, hey, we should, uh, you know, head down to the water park, and we're all sitting around, it's like, yeah, we should do that, or we should head down to Disneyland. Okay, cool story. Well, what are we going to take? I don't give a fuck. We're going to get in the car. We're going to get up some gas. You can grab snacks on the way there. If we're going to stay overnight, you know, take a change of clothes and some underwear, grab those real fast. And your toiletries, you can take them with you or we can just buy them at Walmart when you're down there because it's the 21st century and, you know, you don't got to drag all your shit with you. Um, So I'm that kind of personality. 
And I like entertaining people because I am what my wife calls an attention whore. Oh. I have to Google that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, 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 but it sounds negative, but I'm just, I like to entertain people. And I like to, I, I like when people have a good time. So like I'm the social butterfly kind of person, life of the party, you know, where it's like, Hey, let's talk about this. Let's all laugh. Let's have a good time. Um, and I think that's why I do it because I'm like, man, life can be real bonkers for people sometimes. And if you get a chance to just cut loose and beat the dog piss out of something, you know, or puzzle your way through something and get respected for your ability to use your actual inner intellect or your moral, your personal morals and ethics bleed over into the character or you get to fantasize about having morals <laughs> and ethics. You know, I like that. Kind of, I like to bring that out in people and let them engage that. Um, you know, it's a safe space. Not like that, but yeah, it's not like we're going to have anything <laughs> weird go on in the house. Um, but yeah, I just, I think it's fun to watch people's faces when they're engaging or hear their voices, you know, since we don't use cameras, uh, you just know, like, oh, we're touching nerves and we're touching, there's touch points that they're really having a good time. So I think that's why I keep doing it. I'm also a pain in the ass player. I've told you my stories. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, you have. I expect some fucking, I expect you to, I don't know what I expect. It's not it, it, rules. It's just, I don't know, man. If anyone wants to hear any of Scott's <laughs> stories about uh, him as a player, I'm pretty sure it was the episode. It was one of our uh, first ones. Immersions and Scott's fucking con. Yeah. I, and it's, I, don't do it on, I don't do it on purpose. I just, if I smell a railroad, I'm going to fuck your railroad up. I'm telling you that right now. I'm going to go out of my way to fucking do it. And maybe that is a dick. But even in a con game, it's not so much a railroad. It was just like, if I get whiffed that you don't know what the fuck you're doing, like in a real bad way, <laughs> you know, or you're being weird about it. And, you know, like, yeah, I would go back and listen to the whole trauma team because I was that was the game. I waited months to play a trauma team paramedic because if I could play anything in a game, it would be a trauma team member from cyberpunk. And that would be my character. I would do that. I played it in Shadowrun. You know, I play their their med techs. I love that kind of shit. Um, it's right up my alley of role play. And to watch this dude just shit all over trauma team, the concept of trauma team, and not really have an idea of how trauma team would function <laughs> really just pissed me off. And so I was just like, no, bitch, we're all learning something at this table today about trauma team. <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to touch into my personal area of expertise and we're going to do this the right way. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess that does sound like a dick. Wow. Now that I said it out loud again, I just. <laughs> it's, it's okay. People have been listening to this podcast for a while. They already know you. Yeah. I just, I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't put in other words about when I say I'm a pain in the ass player. I just, I don't go out of my way to be an ass, but if a G, so my problem, that that's what it is. If you're, and this is going to sound bad. We're trying to give people advice on prep. If I know you're new, like we played the one game with the girl who was running Tesla and Lovecraft and it was her first time play, running, running Savage World or maybe one of her, she wasn't, she was a, she was very new at GMing. So we, my, my friend and I, we ran with that and we helped make her game the best game she could possibly have, right? Is that make, if that makes sense. Yeah, you, you were actively trying to yeah. make it the best game for her. Exactly. And we did all the fun stuff and we did all, we looked in all the, the dumb shit ritual books and we did everything we could. And but we also were would give her small ideas with, with how we would interact with one another because Chuck and I role play really well. Chuck's personality is a lot like mine, and so and she was just like, "Holy shit, I've never seen people role play like this." And so it helped her give her ideas. But if I sense that you're just a fucking shit GM and you don't 
try. That's what it is. I think I mentioned on the podcast. If I get the sense that you just don't fucking try, you're disrespecting my time. You're disrespecting the table's time. And people pay a lot of money sometimes to go do some of this shit. And, and they spend a lot of their own personal time away from families and friends and things they could be doing that they enjoy to come to your table. And I'm not going to allow you to just fuck. You have to edit this episode a lot. Not, not, I'm not allow you to fuck off someone's personal investments in their character and their time with people that they think of their friends or consider friends. And you're just sitting there just being a douche. It's not going to happen. And so I will seize the fucking means of production on the fucking game. And we're going to have it. We're going to have the adventure that, you know, we, the table wants to have and not what the GM wants to have. I mean, that is a dick move, but I'm a pretty quick read of the table. you know, and I, I usually play face types or, you know, highly charismatic characters, paladins, shit like that. So, well, fortunately for you, and also fortunately for me, I have or- have already said that we will not be editing out any of the fucks because I think at this point that button on my computer would break. <laughs> I hope what I said makes sense in some way. That was like a complete dick, but no, no, oh, no. no. And I think you touched on something though that I think is important, and that is generally speaking, if people know you're a new GM, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Oh, they yeah. want you to be successful. Why? Because there are so few GMs and if you're willing to GM, they want you to succeed because that means they get to be a player still. Yep. So, yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, just be upfront with people. Even it's like, Hey, I'm new. Yeah. I still use the, I'm new. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'll be fair. I'm not like, Hey, I suck at uh, science fiction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Someone's like, I even said during when I was running Neon Blood, they're like, didn't you write the game? I was like, yeah, I, I understand the contradictory nature of what I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, coming up with a, a setting idea and some rules to support that is different than coming up with a cyberpunk adventure. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, what does the city look like? <laughs> Bitch, I don't know. Have you seen Blade Runner? <laughs> just. <laughs> yes. uh, it's like, you know, I can't run a low life game or a paranoia game, but I sure I certainly know how to play a Monty Python type character. So, oh yeah. yeah. Well it's and like so, it would be great running. We talked about this. He would yeah, be perfect yeah. to run paranoia or low life. And you and yeah. I would be able to run with that, you know, and I would consider you, Santa, right or wrong, a fairly new GM. Is that uh, 100% fair? Hundred percent right. Hundred percent right. And we wouldn't be dicks about it because we know you're a new GM and it's a zany setting. And so it, it will allow us to really help you grow in your in your your methods and your madness. Well, even um, in um, the episode, I don't know if you you weren't here for this one, Scott, but we're mm-hmm. me and uh, Finder were talking about it was the losing friends along the way. I don't know if you listened to that one. Not um, yet. Uh, but I actually mentioned what my um, what I would have ran for low life if I didn't have to switch to evenings. And oh my God. I'm going to listen to the thing. Do, do you do you want me to just tell you now? Do, go ahead, because now um, I'm curious. Okay, so what I was planning is uh, I was planning to do a riff on the movie Cowboys and uh, Cowboys vs Aliens. Yes. Oh uh, my God. And but what I had what I had planned <laughs> was you would be attacked in the nighttime. Uh, your characters would be either part of this town, outlaws, or just visiting. It would really be up to what you guys wanted to do. Uh, you'd be attacked by monsters and they would be these flying kind of almost stringy kind of bloody looking monsters that fly from the sky 
land on the ground and almost kind of transform in front of you and are attacking. And you'd end up only being able to kill one before all of a sudden the rest of the flock almost kind of vanishes. And on observation, you would notice that the entire monster, this flying beast, was made out of pasta sauce and spaghetti. <laughs> and... Um, then you like there would be like a town meeting called the next day uh oh. where you guys there would be like a town hall where you talk about this weird thing i'm like you're trying to gather information about what the hell is this and there would be one guy at the back of the room who does this jaws <laughs> scratching on the on the board um you know about the monster and he would talk about how he saw this in a town in, in the town he was in before and how it ended up consuming the whole town so you'd end up going on this massive adventure to try and get to this place that he would say that existed which turned out to be uh an ancient uh chef boyardee factory that used to do all the canning and production of chef boyardee uh and it was ran by this amalgamation of mo of a monster that would essentially kidnap and consume all these beasts in order to make or you know creatures in order to make more pasta in order to create more monsters and the giant amalgamation was called chief boyard um <laughs> and i i was planning this whole like i was thinking of this whole thing where it's like oh okay you'd face these flying spaghetti monsters that you you don't exactly know where they come from you know we go through this whole thing of like you know almost like and it all spawned from the goddamn uh, Cowboys vs. Aliens movie. And I was just thinking, how could I make it post-apocalyptic, but also give it my own freaking style? And that, right. that was my whole that was my whole concept behind it. And I oh my god, um, my Twinkie person was gonna would be a, a like a lost a lost world occultist. So I could play Happy Bridge Dreyfus. <laughs> oh, but yeah, was... Hooper Twinkie, <laughs> it's all good in your ivory towers. <laughs> yeah, and I just wanted to do riff on like, not like make it a hundred percent purely obvious that I'm doing a riff on another movie, but just add in these tiny little scenes from movies where it's like if you're really paying attention, you kind of catch on. Like I said, with the chalkboard was very obvious, but then I thought of a few other little ones along the way where it's just like, oh, that's. Is that is that did you, did he steal that from this movie? And it's like no, it's it's not the same. But no, ah, it's perfect. See, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like, I don't think Finer and I both have, have agreed. We definitely could not. I don't think I could run Low Life either, effectively. But I think you can run those kinds of games. Man, I want to play that so bad. I, <laughs> I have no idea how much I want to play a fucking. I know, me too. The cream filling. Oh, we'll have to maybe. Um... Oh my god! I still say, yeah. <laughs> although we don't do actual plays on this podcast, you know, if enough people want like a one shot or like maybe like two or three episodes where we kind of just sprinkle them in, I totally be down. But you guys need to let us know if you want that. <laughs> it, it has starchy tentacles, yeah. long, hot, starchy tentacles. Yeah, yeah. They roll over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're on a cream fillion tub yep 768 cream fillions went in, went in the big drink so many ufus died to bring us this information right. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was just an amazing game. Just at the oh, just at God. the end of it, just bring in uh, was it the Independence Day kind of fucking uh, give us a speech, give the yeah. presidential yeah. speech from Independence Day, <laughs> and on this day, <laughs> oh God! But oh, and, I, I think that's actually another thing that uh, new GMs should look at is. What kind of style do you think you'd be best at? Like with me, like right. we said, I, 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 I probably would do slapstick very well. I don't yeah. think I, although I like the grim and the dark kind of settings, I don't think I would do a good job at it. I don't I, think you can resist your natural urges. No, my natural urges would say, okay, let's add in some fuckery. Right. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a weird keyhole in the wall, about fifth <laughs> size, waist level. Be like, stop. 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 We're not opening the door that way. No, come on. Open the door that way. <laughs> and you just do an Austin Powers gold member kind of uh, reference in that one. Now grab yeah. onto the two poles next to it. Yeah. But you're not wrong. Yeah. There's just certain genres. And if it's something you're super interested in, you probably do quite well. You know, fantasy is super easy for everyone. I, I think it's easy for everyone. But I think there's, I know there are some people who hate fantasy. So maybe not. Well, I think I think the reason because even like uh, the one person who's saying is like, yeah, you know, I just don't like fantasy, but it's the one that everyone plays. And I think it's just because anyone yeah. can really run fantasy because at the end of the day, you can just explain it with magic. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows knights. Yeah, I will say this, and you might be surprised too. I grew up in the Southwest. Like, I spent a long time in Southwest around actual real ass cowboys. I ran Deadlands, and I was bored out of my fucking mind. <laughs> I did not like running Deadlands. I don't know why. I'm just zero interest in that setting. Well, and, and you know, though, I think that goes to the, if you play, if you run what you want, players just want to play. Yeah. I mean, do we tend to go with fantasy? Yes, because that's also what a lot of GMs tend to run. And that's okay. But I mean, I've never turned down a game, even if I'm only mildly interested in it, or I, I have no interest in the setting itself. The fact that I just get to play is fun for me. So it's yeah. like, um, I'm generally not a Call of Cthulhu type player, but that was something that uh, Scott, you ran. And I'm like, hey, I'm happy to play it. I think <laughs> it'll be cool, and and I really enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the setting, um, and, and so it's like players, I think, just want to play. Yeah. Yep, 100. Um, percent Yeah, that's 100 percent true. Like, I'm not crazy into fantasy, but if someone said, hey, do you want to play this game? I'd probably still say yes. No, there is there is one aspect that we've not touched on. I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to bring it up and you can let me know how much time you want to take on it. But uh, that is for new GMs. One of the big concerns is learning the rules. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there are systems that are easier to learn than others. Like I would not looking at D&D &D now. I mean, <laughs> three, three books to run the game. Yeah. yeah. Savage Worlds is one book and yeah. the rules are fairly basic and they're not. Uh, there are other systems that are also pretty easy to pick up and run. Coriolis yeah. has a fairly easy mechanic. Um, I'd say it's probably a little bit more complicated than Savage Worlds, but you can also look at other game systems to figure out what you may want to run that would make your job easier as a GM. Yeah. And it's actually kind of funny that you said that. And because even one of the people on Reddit who has GM'd actually mentioned that GMing is what ended up making him hate 5e <laughs> <laughs> yes, see. Oh, yeah. down vote down vote down vote uh, yeah 
Um, is there any? What was it? Yeah, we are getting a little bit long here. Uh, is there any? Yeah, no, I know. Cut in half. <laughs> nah, honestly, I think I think this is important enough for people just to kind of like listen. I don't care about cutting in half. But is there is there anything else that maybe I'm missing that you guys feel like is important for new GMs to know? Uh, um, I, sure. I think we've t- tackled quite a bit. Oh, go ahead, Finder. One of the things that I will mention is my my oldest boy when he talked about learning all of the technical side of things that you have to do if you're going to be playing online Ooh, yeah. um, there there is a difference between playing in person and playing online i prefer online now um oh. there, there's a lot of stuff in person that i i love the in-person interaction and be able to be around the dinner table with everybody and having a good time and laughing and and all that stuff but there are things that the virtual tabletops do allow me to do as a GM that I always found a little bit more difficult, but do you have to have all of the bells and whistles? Do you have to have the maps? Do you have to have, um, all that stuff? Um, and I, I know my answer to that, but I'm going to go, Scott, what are your thoughts? Uh, so I, I think I mentioned this before. It does depend on your gaming environment. So here at the house, I still have a HD TV hooked up to an Apple TV. And so I, and a surround sound system. So my, my, my MacBook Bluetooth to Apple TV. So I can throw as an extended monitor. I throw shit across the room, right in the, in the, in the digital, uh, the cloud, if you will. And so they're looking at maps and images. So I can just on the spur, like, this is what this looks like. This is what this looks like. This is the area you're looking at. Here's what a barrel mound looks like. At the same time, I'm playing the soundtrack, splitting that Bluetooth connection between two different devices. And so I can still approximate the online in person. Plus, I have all my prop, my physical props, which I think is a plus up for me playing in person because you get to hold on to toys and shit. And that is one of the absolute cool things about in person. Yeah. But like, like I remember one of the games that my brother used to GM back uh, in the early 80s. He was doing a D&D campaign and he made this map, this treasure map that his group was going to find. And he had built the entire map. He put this sort of paper on top of it that made it so you couldn't see it unless you held it up to the light itself. And then you nice. could see the, the map. Oh, and then yeah. he cut it up into different sections. And so they would find uh, part of the map in different areas of, of the campaign. And so they're all trying to construct this map. And then they had to figure out how to read the map because you couldn't just read it normally. So it, that was like one of the coolest props I'd see. I'm like, that's awesome. I wish I could do that. Yeah. I and guess I it didn't really answer your question. Do you need to learn all the bells and whistles for online gaming? Uh, but no, because I'm probably going to find stuff that's out there to help you. Like Roll20, there's so much written about it. And I know Roll20 is falling out of fashion for some weird-ass reason for more far more complicated tabletops. <laughs> Roll20 is literally a drag and drop some shit. And I don't know why that Foundry is taking over. Foundry is not exactly drag and drop. It kind of functions that way, but there's still some issues with it. And you need a, a computer that actually has some ass to it, I found, to run Foundry properly. Um, and I, what's the other one? The Fantasy Grounds. I'm just not a yeah. fan of Fantasy Grounds. It's so f- fucking clunky. It's like it was designed in 1980s. I don't understand that interface <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Um, it, it may just be me. I just, everything is so cramped and shit, but yeah. So no, I think you're right. Let's just go with some basics and slowly learn, you know, like you don't need the dynamic lighting. And if you do think you need dynamic lighting buy one of the modules that are professionally done, the D and D modules almost all have everything already preset for you. 
And big secret is, is you can run a D&D module in any game system. You just get to do a little bit of tweaking to the tokens and that's it. My last campaign that I ran for my kids was a converted D&D module to Savage Worlds. Yeah, it goes fairly easily and that's all yeah. your prep work really. Yeah. If you look at yeah. I mean, it's, it, the module is a storyline. All you got to do is restat block all the monsters. That's it. And it goes pretty fast. It really does. But yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think people have forgotten that in this online world, we we feel like there's an expectation that you have this map and it's got like this dynamic lighting. And you know what? Back in the day when we were playing D&D, the players had to make their own map as I described. I don't even use maps with you guys anymore. We just, I put no, this cool splash screen up and I make yeah. your tokens for your characters gigantic, like coaster size, so we get to see how cool you are. And then we just uh, fucking adventure. 100% on that one. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, in my opinion, you don't need to do that. Even if you're running a, a system as simple as Savage Worlds, the great thing there is, if you want to have an encounter, do you have to stat every mook out? No. You're, you're fighting this group of people. They've got D6s in fighting. They've got D, D8 in shooting. And you can just throw the dice. You don't even need a character sheet. I still use character sheets because I prefer it because I can get a little bit spiffier output and I can do some other things with it. But you don't need to. You don't need to have all those bells and whistles. Just go and have fun. Just run it. Run the game. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You'll have an unfair advantage when roll 20 well, character sheets. Anyway. <laughs> we don't we'll fucking talk about that. You and your bullshit. Oh, I think that's uh, a nice uh, little wrap-up spot right there. That's a good one. It's, it's kind of wholesome. It sounds kind of nice. Uh, I would ask you, Finder, uh, what do we learn today? But to be honest, I think... Um, <laughs> we learned that everybody that has been thinking about GMing but is afraid to, just go do it. Yeah. Just do it. You'll Try it out, guys. It's fun. It'll be all right. And don't expect to be running the next great World or uh, Lord of the Rings Tolkien esque fantasy because it's going to turn into Money Python anyway. Yeah. <laughs> true that. True that. Well, RP people, that's all the time we have for today. If you like this episode or have any questions, please let me know by e- emailing me at rpsmartpeople at gmail.com. We'd love to answer your. Uh, some questions for you so send them on hell even if you have like an audio clip that you'd like to send us i'll put it on the show we'll play it uh we'll play it on here and then we'll even answer the question um if you didn't like this episode you can always message me on twitter at rp smart people and i'd love to tackle your concerns maybe uh, <laughs> now we are a small podcast uh we'd love it if you could tell your friends your family your neighbor that random guy across the street uh pretty much anyone because we'd love to grow and just really kind of make this a it is a real thing i would say because we're making something but i I, i'd love to just start like you know putting out more things doing more stuff because i i have a lot of fun doing it um and i I hope you guys do too thanks again and we'll see you next week Bye bye